Thanks for listening to this podcast from Christ Church of Orinoco. Our hope is that it would help you discover completeness in Jesus. Now for this week's teaching. Happy Resurrection Day, church. It's a unique day, but the power of the gospel is no matter what our circumstances are, the truth that we celebrate together is the most important truth the world has ever known. Open your Bibles, if you will, with me to Genesis chapter 37. We're going to be going in and through the last part of the book of Genesis. A friend of mine, preacher friend, likes to break Genesis into four pieces, speaking about our origins. The first 11 chapters deal with the concept of Adam and Eve and the flood and Noah and God's plan for mankind breaks into a section on Father Abraham and his story of how God promised that he would be the father of a great nation. It takes into his children and children's children and Isaac and Jacob and Esau and the story of the 12 tribes of Israel. And then it ends, this fascinating story of mankind ends in chapters 37 through 50 in the story of a man named Joseph. What I actually want to do is walk through the story of Joseph today. You might say, what does this have to do with the resurrection of Jesus? It's everything that shows us that the hope we have, regardless of our circumstances, is found in what we celebrate this Easter and what Christians celebrate every time they gather together, this living hope of the gospel. You see, you might be asking yourself a question that will fall right into today's story of this man named Joseph and his life. You can rightfully be asking yourself, why is this happening? Why is this happening to me? Why is this happening to my family? Why are all these things happening to the world in which I live? You may be struggling to comprehend a God who is good and allows these things to happen. Or you may have determined that God is getting us, punishing us for all that we have done wrong. I want to give you a foundation to stand on something to hold on to in these unusual times when it seems like the resurrection of Jesus is a future thing for us and not a present. What do the scriptures teach about a God and how does he work in a world of sin and suffering? And is he working at all? Let's look in Genesis chapter 37, verses two through five. Joseph, a young man of 17, was tending the flocks with his brothers and he brought their father a bad report about them. Now Israel loved Joseph more than any of his other sons because he had been born to him in his old age and he made an ornate robe for him. When his brothers saw that their father loved him more than any of them, they hated him and could not speak a kind word to him. Look at verse 11. His brothers were jealous of him, but his father kept the matter in mind. Joseph's story is unusual. It's complicated. It's difficult. It's full of conflict, and yet God is involved in every bit of it. Who is Joseph? Who was this this man? Let me tell you a few things about his story as I glide through the story and encourage you to read Genesis 37 through 50 this week. It'd be worth your time. Joseph was the favorite son. Uh, Jacob, unfortunately, had many wives, and his favorite wife was a young lady named Rachel. Rachel could not have children for the longest period of time. And then toward the end of her life, she gave birth to two boys, Joseph, her firstborn, and Benjamin. And Joseph was Jacob's favorite because it came from his favorite wife 
in the late years of his life and he favored him in a way that was unfortunate and it put Joseph at quite the disadvantage. Which leads us to the second thing we learned. He was a despised brother. The brother's jealousy, which in truth was rightfully founded, caused hatred. In this same chapter, Joseph would show up with this royal robe that his father had given him, a sign that he was more favored than the others. And he wore that naively into the presence of his brothers who were working while he wasn't. And they captured him and they beat him and they gave him away to slave traders that were passing by, treating him as if he wasn't their family. And he sent him on to a different life after they had discussed even killing him. And then they went back and they lied to the father about what happened to Joseph. And they told him that his son was dead and he grieved with great grief. He was also a slave in a foreign land. Having been given to those slave traders, he was taken to Egypt where he was sold to an official in Pharaoh's household. Let's look at Genesis chapter 39, verses two through four. The Lord was with Joseph so that he prospered and he lived in the house of his Egyptian master. When his master saw that the Lord was with him and that the Lord gave him success in everything he did, Joseph found favor in, the, in his eyes and became his attendant. Potiphar put him in charge of his household and entrusted to his care everything he owned. He was a slave in a foreign land, but he was a slave. He didn't have his own power. He didn't have his own money. He didn't have his own prosperity. he had actually had a dream which caused his brothers to become angry at him. In fact, he had two dreams and he was naive enough to tell his brothers of these dreams. And as they were easily interpreted, it said that Joseph would one day be in such a position of power that all in his family would bow before him. And that's all the brothers needed. And now look at him, slave in another man's home, doing the bidding of his owner. But I want you to understand the test on Joseph's life, like the test that we're all facing now, will reveal our character. It will reveal our faith. But he was also a pure-hearted servant. In Genesis 39, verse 6, now Joseph was well-built and handsome. And after a while, his master's wife took notice of Joseph and she said, come to bed with me. But he refused. Look at verse 9. He says to her, how then could I do such a wicked thing and sin against God? And though she spoke to Joseph day after day, he refused to go to bed with her or even to be with her. Joseph had all the reason in the world to make a claim on his life to say, the way I've been treated, I'm gonna take care of me, but he doesn't. And his reason for not doing so is he is a slave in someone else's home, but instead he has a pure heart and he serves. He serves his master who would not serve him. And Joseph could have rationalized his life, but he didn't. I want you to remember the test that we face in life revealed our character and they reveal our faith. He was slandered and imprisoned. Unfortunately, when he runs away from Potiphar's wife, she tries to seduce him and he runs away and she takes his coat as evidence and then she concocts a lie in her shame and embarrassment. She's humiliated and she claims that he tried to harm her and he's arrested. He's in prison for 13 years. Not 13 days or 13 months, but 13 long years. This one who was promised that he would become something is now not only a slave, but he's a criminal. And yet the dreamer, the one that God gave a dream to, finds that there are two men that he's in prison with, and one has been wrongfully accused and the other has been rightfully accused, and they have dreams and Joseph interprets their dream. 
He interprets them accurately. One would be restored and the other would be punished with his own death. And those things came to fruition. And when the one who was taken out of prison because of Joseph's dream, Joseph said, remember me when you come to Pharaoh, but he forgets until two years later. Two years later, Pharaoh has a dream that horrifies him and none of his mystics can interpret the dream. And the one who was released from prison that knew Joseph said, I remember a man that I was in prison with who interpreted my dream and he did it accurately. Everything he said came true. And so Pharaoh called Joseph out of prison. And Pharaoh was offering him that if you can, if you can interpret my dream, I'll give you my entire kingdom. And I want you to see in Genesis chapter 40, verse 16, how Joseph responds. I cannot do it, Joseph replied to Pharaoh, but God will give Pharaoh the answer he desires. Joseph could have taken this moment. He could have made it about him. He could have gotten out of prison and had anything he wanted, but he couldn't do it because tests reveal our character and they reveal our faith. You see, Joseph was tested and each and every time he chose God rather than himself. He was elevated to authority. In Genesis 41, verse 41, so Pharaoh said to Joseph, I hereby put you in charge of the whole land of Egypt. Then Pharaoh took his signet ring from his finger and he put it on Joseph's finger. He had him ride in a chariot as his second in command. Thus he put him in charge of the whole land of Egypt. Joseph becomes the prime minister of Egypt, second in command with all the authority he ever wanted. He has this, Pharaoh's dream was that there were the seven years of plenty followed by seven years of famine. When Pharaoh knew that that made sense, he said to Joseph, prepare us for this, and Joseph would. And so he began to collect during the seven years of plenty and store up resources for the seven years of famine. And this was such a power move and such a brilliant move that when the rest of the world did without because of the famine, where did they have to come to? They came to Joseph, the second person in command in all of Egypt. And Joseph then had all the materials he needed to build this great empire. This is exactly what God had shown him in a dream because he would now become the forgiving brother. You see, his brothers, who didn't know what happened to him and assumed he was probably dead by now, now need the materials that are found in Egypt. And they come to Egypt, and then they're confronted with Joseph, but they don't recognize Joseph. They never intended to see him again. They were sure he was dead. And here he was, there for them, providing for them. Through a series of circumstances and tests, and Joseph trying to find out if, if they allowed his father to continue to live or did they kill his little brother Benjamin, he puts him through a series of tests to find out if they were men, if they were family, if they could be trusted. And he reveals they could be. So Joseph reveals himself after a series of tests in Genesis 45, verse 3. He said to his brothers, I am Joseph. Is my father still living? But his brothers were not able to answer because they were terrified at his presence. Then Joseph said to his brothers, come close to me. Remember those words, come close to me. And when they had done so, he said, I am your brother, Joseph, the one you sold into Egypt. And now do not be distressed. Interesting. Instead of punishing them for their cruelty, for treating them like they treated him, he said, no, go get, go get our father and bring him here. This place will keep him safe. And they return to get him. This was a test of his character and his faith. And then he becomes what he always wanted to be, the reunited son. Genesis 46, 29. Joseph had his chariot made ready and went to Goshen to meet with his father Israel. And as soon as Joseph appeared before him, he threw his arms around his father and wept for a long time. Israel said to Joseph, now I am ready to die since I have seen for myself that you are still alive. Joseph 
has Jacob and the brothers because they're shepherds. He has them live in the land of Goshen outside of Egypt because the Egyptians couldn't stand the shepherds, thought it was the lowest of low jobs. And so Joseph didn't want to risk that relationship, so he had them stay in Goshen. And then his father dies. And his brothers come back to Joseph thinking, now that dad is dead, our brother will get his revenge. Our brother will bring down justice on us. And I believe that they felt they deserved it. Think about Joseph's life. All the missed years with his parents, not being there when his mother passed away, not being there with his, to help his father and serve his father. The grief of being despised by his brothers, of being beaten and sold like a piece of property, being falsely accused and imprisoned, all of what he thought his life would be and none of it occurred. And then catching a break and having the chance at sweet revenge to those who made this all happen. Father's dead and they, res- they come to Joseph and they bow before him expecting justice to come down on them harshly. Genesis chapter 50, verse 19, if you would. Joseph said to them, don't be afraid. Am I in the place of God? You intended to harm me but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. Now you may stop and think, wow, Joseph's amazing. No, no, I want you to hear what he said. God intended it. Joseph has a very strange perception of what took place in his life. It wasn't a series of events that happened to him. It actually was a series of events that God orchestrated. God intended these things. When we're wanting to ask, why is this happening? And where is God when this happening? I want to give you some foundational truths about the sovereignty of God. What does the sovereignty of God mean? It means the power, love, and wisdom of God working in our lives. God is always in control. Where was God during all of this? He was present. Genesis 39.2 says the Lord was with Joseph in his slavery, when he was separated from his family, when he was betrayed by his brothers. Genesis 39.20 But while Joseph was there in the prison, the Lord was with him. He showed him kindness and granted him favor in the eyes of the prison warden. Verse 23, the Lord was with Joseph and gave him success in whatever he did. Don't miss this. In every moment that Joseph lived his life, the presence of God was with him. Now, some of you may say, what good was it if none of his circumstances changed? Because Joseph understood that his entire life in the presence of God was better that way than to live his entire life without him. Where was God? He was active. He wasn't just there. He was working. It's interesting, when you read this story, you don't see any breathtaking displays of supernatural power. No great miracles occur. But what you do see is the presence of God actively working in the circumstances of Joseph's life. Let's look in Genesis chapter 45, verse 4. Once again, this is Joseph responding to his brothers. He said, I am your brother Joseph, the one you sold into Egypt. And now do not be distressed and do not be angry with yourselves for selling me here because it was to save lives that God sent me ahead of you. Verse seven, but God sent me ahead of you to preserve for you a remnant on earth and save your lives by a great deliverance. So then it was not you who sent me here, but God, he made me father to Pharaoh, Lord of his entire household and ruler of all Egypt. Now hurry back to my father and say to him, this is what your son Joseph says. God has made me Lord of Egypt. Come down to me. Don't delay. Do you hear the language repeatedly? That Joseph is seeing his life in the present active work of God. God sent me. God sent me. But God did this. But God made me this. 
Do you hear this language? God didn't just allow it. God used this for something greater. Divine sovereignty. God is never not in control. You think that's important to us in the world in which we're living right now? When everything we've held on to is now suspect and insecure rather than secure? That God is not only present, but he's active and God is never not in control. Yes, the brothers had a role in this. They weren't robots. They made choices, sinful choices. They allowed their emotions and their jealousy to overtake them. Jacob, I don't know what he was doing as a father, but it wasn't being a good father. Yet Joseph doesn't look at any of the excuses. He simply understands this. God was in control and the brothers were also responsible. In Genesis chapter 49, when Jacob's dying, he's passing a blessing on to all of his sons. And Joseph says, I want you to bless my two boys instead of me. And Jacob says, okay. And when he brings them all together, if you read Genesis 49, you're gonna see something fascinating. Those that were responsible were cursed by their father and those others were blessed. There was responsibility on both parts. The sovereignty of God works even in and around evil actions. But God is in control. You see, the responsibility that we each have cannot be ignored, but the will of God will not be stopped. And I don't know about you, but on this day, that means something to me. God will win even when I feel like I'm losing. He was present, he was active. Where was God? He was the faithful savior. God kept his promises to Joseph all the way back to the dreams. And you never would have done the math and come to this conclusion, but it's brilliant that what happened was the dream that God gave Joseph early in his story came about many, many years later. In Genesis 12, God promised a man named Abraham that he would be, give birth to a great nation. He'd be the father of a great nation. And Abraham thought it would never happen, but it did. And this great nation would become the parents and grandparents of Joseph. In Genesis 15, when God promised Abraham, he said, your offspring will be sojourners in this land. For 400 years, they will journey. And we'll find out in the book of Exodus that it was 400 years that they were enslaved in Egypt, counting Joseph's life. You see, the story is not ultimately about Joseph or his final triumph. It's about God's faithfulness. See, what I want you to see is this story just shows what the tomb brings out for all of us to praise and celebrate. That even in the face of death, God is always in control. So I want to give you some foundations like I talked about when we began today. I want you in this Easter resurrection celebration to hold on to these foundational truths no matter what you face. Here it is. God is present with us. The same God whose presence was with Joseph is with us each and every moment. Remember though that Joseph was sold into slavery, betrayed by his brothers, hated by his own family, placed in prison falsely, summoned before Pharaoh. The same God who walked with Joseph through those difficult times never left him and he'll never leave you. When life is great and everything seems secure, that God was with us. And when things get scary and feel insecure, I need you to know this today. The power of the presence of God is with us and God is actively guiding us. Do you ever wonder if he's active in this set of circumstances you're facing? Maybe it's a loss of a job, the closing of a business. You don't know how everything's gonna work out. We don't know what normal will be like when we ever get back to normal. God is not overlooking any detail of your life. He's not disinterested and he's not focused on somebody else. The same God that was present with Joseph and active in Joseph's every circumstance is active in ours. 
It reminds us in Genesis 50, 20, where he says, what you intended for good or for evil, God has intended for good, just harkens back to what Paul says in Romans chapter eight, when he says, God's working all things together for the good of his people who are called according to his purpose. You see, every test we face actually is a test of our character and our faith. God's sovereignty is the only foundation for embracing anything life brings to you. Whether it's a sickness, whether it's an unexpected tragedy, death or miscarriage or loss of our business or our finances, or maybe it's a sudden and and tragic bout of depression, anything that we face in life that takes us off of what we thought our life was gonna be and reveals what it actually is. God is in control even in those worst moments. God can take evil and turn it into good. This is the hope of the resurrection, that even after death has ended my life, I live again. God takes suffering and turns it into satisfaction. There is no grief you and I are facing that will not be erased completely when Jesus returns and reestablishes his kingdom, the Garden of Eden, the promise of everything he began to promise when we broke this world. You see, our God has faithfully saved us. He's present with us, he's active for us, and he is saving us. How can I really know that God was going to take all this hurtful affliction, all this fear, all this stress, all the duress that we're facing. How will I know he can bring satisfaction? How, will, how can I know if he will? It's a fair question. Here's how. Because Jesus went through hell on earth to deliver heaven on earth. He went through the cross, the persecution. In fact, if you look and listened to Joseph's story, you're gonna see it sounds very familiar to the story that Jesus lived through. You see, the purpose of knowing Joseph's story today is to be reminded of God's faithfulness, not only with Joseph, but even more so with Jesus. Think about some of the things I shared with you about Joseph's story. Jesus was a favorite son too. Jesus was a despised brother by his own brothers and by his family. Jesus was a slave in a foreign land. Jesus was a pure-hearted servant. Jesus was slandered and imprisoned. Jesus was elevated to authority because of what he went through. Jesus was the forgiving brother. Praise God, Jesus is the reunited son. The favorite son, the one and only son. God did this. He sent him to earth to die on the cross so that we can, and through his blood, receive not only the justice on our sin, but the mercy of his love. Where God could have rightfully punished us, instead he took our punishment. And when we were horrified that the story of Jesus would end in the darkness and the crucifixion and his broken body laid in the tomb, three days later, when they went to look at the horrible circumstances, they were no longer horrible. They were beautiful. They were redeemed. What man meant for evil, God intended for good. This is the hope of the resurrection for us that there is no circumstance you and I are facing today or will face in the future, that God does not solve through the work of Jesus Christ and the promise of his faithfulness. You see, Jesus humbled himself and became a slave in a foreign land that he might deliver us as the forgiving brother and the reunited son. Know this, there is a day coming when Jesus will return and there will be no more sickness, there will be no more evil, there'll be no more darkness and there will be no more fear. 
Be confident of this, that God is using every circumstance we face, every occurrence, every detail, no matter what it is, no matter how hard it is, no matter how painful it is, God is working, he is with us, and he is redeeming us. The empty tomb is all the evidence you and I need today. We need to remember God is working all things together for our good, all things. Stand on these foundations. Lean on them if you must. Cry out to them. Trust in God who is with you, who is sovereign over all things, and who is faithful to his people to the end. Our God reigns. He always will. And he is right now. And we are blessed because of it. Pray with me. Father, we thank you for the goodness of Jesus. We thank you for the hope that he alone brings us. When our entire world is shaken, when we're scared, when we're nervous, when we can't control things we used to think we controlled, we look to the cross to see what sin has done to our world and we look to the tomb to see what Jesus has done to our world. Today, we celebrate the resurrection of our King, Jesus. And we thank you that if our life should never turn out like we dreamed it would, if it turns out in the presence, the active, redeeming presence of our Father, we will have no regrets. Today, we worship you. Today, we lift up our voice in song. Today, we remember all that Jesus has done. Father, thank you for Easter. Amen. Thanks again for checking out this podcast. We hope this teaching helped you to discover completeness in Jesus and encourages you to help others do the same. For more resources or to learn about Christ Church in general, visit us online at cco.church.